This is the reality. Hello to you, welcome to The Reality, a half-hour talk show talking about the reality of a real life as found through Jesus Christ. I'm Dudley Anderson, really good to be with you. I'd love to hear from you. If you've got a story to tell of the reality of Jesus in your life, drop me a note by email, dudley at surereality.net. I'd love to hear from you. Well, today on The Reality, we're going to be speaking to Andy DeMont. Andy spent six years in the British Army, seeing many years of combat with the British Royal Marines. He endured operational tours in Kosovo, Bosnia, Cyprus, Oman, Afghanistan and Iraq. Later, Andy worked for an aid organization called Medair International, imparting impartial, independent and neutral humanitarian aid by the Christian faith to save lives and relieve human suffering around the world. Like so many operational soldiers, Andy suffered some PTSD after his tours of operation. He discovered how essential it is to turn your life over to Jesus for healing and the importance of talking it out. It took me some some years to recognize the symptoms within myself. When I came out of the military, I was drinking a lot. Um, It was then that I met my now wife. We then went on to find Jesus together and my life changed for the better. But I had this stigma that I didn't open up and talk about a lot of things. I felt like talking to normal everyday people, civilians, my parents, my friends, they didn't understand. But actually that was a tactic of the enemy, the devil, to want me to to keep this grief inside me that would eat away at me. So many of us harbor hurt and grief and trauma in our hearts and these cause us to fail in life. Jesus is the answer to life's pains, yet talking about our grief is probably the greatest mechanism that he uses to heal us of our hurts. I spoke with Andy at his office via Skype for today's The Reality. Well, my pleasure today to speak to Andy DeMont on Skype for The Reality. Thank you for joining us, Andy. Uh, You've got an exciting life. You spent uh, a number of years from 97, 1997, that is, until 2003 in the British Army. Incredible stuff. I'm going to be talking about some of your um, experiences there. But as always, I'd like to find out, how did you find Jesus as your Lord and Saviour? Well, first and foremost, I grew up in a in a Christian household. Both my parents went to Bible college, and um, kind of was immersed in 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 the, in the church right away through until I was a mid teenager, uh, and then I decided to kind of walk away and kind of take my own um, chapter of life, I suppose, uh, for a few years until I found uh, my my then to be girlfriend, now wife, and uh, the Lord through all of that time that I was away from Him. Um, was was helping me mm. to understand who he was and, and and why I needed him back in my life. And it was through meeting my wife, who was then um, really interested because she wasn't a Christian, uh, as to what my parents said on a Sunday. And uh, and through me taking her to church to see what that was all about, that God was softening my heart back to Him. Uh, and so through wow. through that, uh, I came back to back to Jesus. Yeah. Uh, and I've been there ever since. So uh, so yeah, massive thank you to my wife and to God. Yeah. Uh, for leading me back. 
that to him. Yeah. You know, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit our helper. Uh, yeah. And you used that word just now. You said God helped you back to him. I love that. Um, how did he How did he do that? Yes, you just explained, you know, you took your wife to the church. But um, did you hear specific words? Uh, was there a conviction of the Holy Spirit? Did you experience a touch of God? How did God help you back to him? Well, I think because... Um you know the the chase after a pretty lady and she was really yeah. interesting to know um who jesus was and why my parents went to church and and through that interaction with going back to church myself uh, escorting her um god was working through all of that to to recapture my heart for him uh, and i think a lot of my experiences uh, in the military had hardened my resolve my heart towards uh, i guess the world really um and there just wasn't a place for god in it um and so through that uh, it was softened i then went to watch um a testimony by a guy called ian mccormack he's an australian guy um they call him the box jellyfish uh, man oh, yeah. and it was his testimony that uh, simultaneously led us my wife and myself uh, to do an altar call uh, and we both gave our lives on the same night um and yeah it was a, it's been a roller coaster ever since then wow wow, wow. and of course coming un, in under the sound of god's word there was a testimony and uh, of course that's uh, the sharing the story of a life mm. touched and changed by by god's word so did you find yourself you know getting back into scripture did you begin to get this hunger for the lord um initially not at first um i mean I guess I, I kind of I had this secular uh, life that I was leading, mm. and I was also going back to church. Uh, and I think for a period of probably eighteen months, two years, I kind of sat on the fence, thinking that I could uh, live live both lives. Mm. And it wasn't until uh, my wife and I ended up going to India with uh, an organisation called Rally International uh, that I was like, well, I'm going to take my Bible with me because uh, that's the right thing to do. Mm. Um, but it sat in the bottom of my rucksack, and it wasn't until uh, my the dark times uh, and the difficult times of that expedition that uh, I, I dug out my Bible and sat and read, uh, basically because I had nothing else to do. Um, there was no electricity. There was just me, the tent, and 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 these young people that were relying on me to keep them safe. Uh, and I needed to turn to somebody for help and guidance through that experience, and and that was Jesus. Mm. Um, and that was really the catalyst, the major turning point in my life. Um, that brought me full circle off the fence back into Jesus' arms. And uh, and that has led on to so many new doors opening uh, because I really needed to, to, to give him everything and make him everything in my life. Yes. It's funny how God does that. You know, he takes us into situations. You know, um, I, I live by the scripture in, in uh, Jeremiah 29. says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. The truth is, God knows the plans he has for us. Mm -hmm. We don't. <laughs> I don't have the clue what God's plans are for me. And yet if I acknowledge him in all my ways, he directs me according to the plans he has for me. Mm -hmm. And he Amen. did that. He, he landed you up in, in that, that, that environment in India um, where uh, you had nothing else to do except to turn to him. And that's God's plan. It's, it's incredible. Mm. Tell us just quickly about that work in India. What did you do? 
Yes, so Rally International is a youth charity. They take youth from all over the world, uh, from all different backgrounds, and they go on to expeditions, not just in India, but in a variety of other countries. And um, they have project managers, uh, project leads, who will then facilitate their time and experience whilst they're uh, on that project. And they can be doing anything from biogas projects to digging um, elephant ditches. uh, And they also do an expedition side of it where they go on like a 200 kilometer trek. And that might include uh, bike riding on foot. Um, And they take all of their provisions for five days at a time. And they basically go off into, into the the back end of nowhere um and it's down to the project managers usually a doctor and then somebody that's got some experience with pitching tents and you know uh, people with military backgrounds tend to be quite uh, Mm. uh, good at those particular things um and so yeah so that's the kind of work that we were doing in india okay um when obviously that then spearheaded us on to want to do more humanitarian work uh, and that's when we then started to look for organisations such as Tear Fund, uh, M- uh, Medair International, Save the Children, mm. uh, where we eventually went on to work for Medair International. Yep, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Let's get to the army bit, uh, Andy. Why did you join the army? Um, <laughs> very good question. Um, <laughs> I joined the army pretty much to save myself going to jail. Oh, um, I was leading as a young uh, I guess adolescent, a late teenager, um, a young man, um, 16, 17 years old. And my life at that point was very much mixed up in uh, drugs, in getting into trouble, um, stealing cars, uh, just nothing better to do, if you point the phrase. But um, that is what my motivating factor was for joining the army. I needed to do something. I needed to challenge all, uh, channel all this energy that I had. And um, I said, yes, yeah, so I, I, I went and joined uh, the British Army. I joined the Royal Logistics Corps um, in early 1997. And um, it was there was a lot of my training corporals and sergeants who were either commando trained or power trained uh, or had been for special forces selection. And so I completed my basic training, went on to do my trade training, um, which I specialized in ammunition. Uh, and then I was given this this golden opportunity to put down um, three places that I would like to get posted to. Mm. Um, and so I had an opportunity to put down for uh, the Royal Marines, and I got uh, a successful application there. Wow. Uh, so then I find myself uh, down in Limston doing my all arms commando training. And then I got posted to uh, Barnstable, in North Devon, uh, Commando Logistics Regiment. Yeah, would I would I encourage my own son to go into the military? Nah, probably not. Just <laughs> um, because I've got a different worldview now. Mm-hmm. Um, but needless to say, uh, it, it certainly made me into the character that I am today. At this particular point in my life, um, I actually wasn't walking with the Lord at that point. But I st- when when we had those. Um, times when we had to go to see the padre uh we had to go to church services within the army um i loved them uh you know and i found you know that that peaceful time that i that i knew of when i was at um children's church you know growing Mm. up with my parents Mm, mm. um but i felt like i knew better Uh, and you know walking with god at that point just wasn't 
I just didn't need to. I don't know, so I felt. Yeah. Um, but the, every time I went on an operational tour, and I did a lot of them, um, my parents would always write uh, Blueies, which is the, the British Internal Mail Service, um, and I would always get letters, and there'd always be a scripture in there oh, as well. Uh, and I'd always gloss over it um, and, oh, whatever. Do you have to put <laughs> that in there? But they did. And, oh. you know, what I didn't know for the for the five or six years that I was serving is that I had a huge prayer following um, that I wasn't aware of. Praise and God. I would say that a lot of those prayers kept me safe in difficult times. Mm-hmm. Praise God. God's always mm. watching over his word. We're going to be talking about some of those operational tours in just a second. We're going to take a little break. Thank you for joining us. Andy, we'll be back after this. You're listening to The Reality, produced by Sheer Reality. Listen again at surereality.net. This is a listener-supported radio ministry, and we depend on you, the listener, to help us produce these programs, touching lives around the world. To become a vision partner of Sure Reality, go to surereality.net and click on Become a Vision Partner. That is, become a vision partner at surereality.net. If you've just joined us, a very hearty hello to you. My name's Dudley Anderson. This is The Reality, a half-hour talk show talking to people from all walks of life whose lives have been impacted by the sure reality of Jesus Christ. I'm Dudley Anderson. Just to remind you, you can listen again to this radio program podcast at our website, surereality.net. Today on The Reality, we're speaking to Andy DeMont. Andy grew up in a Christian home. But sadly, like so many of us, he departed from his faith as a teenager. Later, however, after falling in love with a young lady who was seeking God, Andy was enticed back to church. He noticed his natural life did not tally up with the spiritual life of a Jesus follower. He realized that he couldn't live two lives any longer. After spending some time with an aid organization in India, Andy was challenged to surrender his life to Jesus Christ. However, before this, Andy joined the British Army and ended up a member of the prestigious British Royal Marines. Andy endured some grueling operational tours in Kosovo, Bosnia, Cyprus, Oman, Afghanistan and Iraq. Army life was tough, but God was using it to shape Andy's life. Throughout his training and indeed through these various combat tours, Andy's mom and dad and their church were covering him in prayer. Let's find out more as we speak with Andy DeMont today at his office via Skype. Well, it's really my pleasure today to speak to Andy DeMont on Skype for The Reality. Andy, you've had an exciting life uh, in the British Army. Uh, You've had some um, tours, operational tours in Kosovo, Bosnia, Cyprus, uh, in, uh, in Oman, Afghanistan and Iraq. Goodness me, what's it like out there in the field? Well, I guess each of the the countries that I've uh, that I've been to have all got a different feel about them. Um, certainly, Kosovo in '99 for that that uh, that war, which was a NATO-led intervention, uh, was vastly different to the likes of Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, certainly, my time on board many of the HMS ships and the Royal Fleet Auxiliary ships uh, was quite a desolate time for me. Um, I was often on board 
uh, these ships with no function, no role, and kind of left to my own devices, um, where I would peer across the Indian Ocean uh, as we sailed, uh, just wondering what my purpose was in life. Um, so I did a lot of self-searching during those times. Um, and I think on reflection back now, you know, God was working hard at, at my core, uh, on my heart in all of those times. And, you know, as I said before, you know, I had a, a large prayer network behind mm. me, supporting mm. me through all of that. Little God. Did I know? But um, yeah, I, I look back and I can, I, I can probably say that I can, I can probably sense that there was a tangible presence of God's life, uh, God's work on my life in those times. Mm. Dangerous times, indeed. Certainly, when we came to Afghanistan, mm. um, that was a whole different level of, um, of, of warfare, if mm. you like, mm. um, being stationed at Bagram Air Base uh, from the very beginning. Um, I was one of probably the first three or four hundred British service personnel in Afghanistan in early 2001. Um, and, yeah, being surrounded by 20,000 Northern Alliance um fighters that didn't want the british in afghanistan hmm. uh was um nerve-wracking to say the least Goodness um me. i actually have a picture on my windowsill here in the office of uh, of us um sleeping under the fusel arches of the mig fighter jets that the russians left behind <laughs> um surrounded by landmines and anti-personnel mines um at the back end of, of bagram air base where we were uh, positioned um and then iraq uh, a year later in 2003 uh, and again um that was fraught with many dangers um, as we kind of toed and froed between various villages uh, trying to get uh, local support, um, getting tyres fixed, getting vehicles fixed if necessary. Um, and you know our interpreters were, were killed as a result of working for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so often you know you were about to set out and those interpreters didn't turn up for work that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so mm-hmm. a lot of these things, you know, they kind of they sit with you, but you're not really registering at that moment in time what mm-hmm. on earth's going mm-hmm. on. You know, you're kind of just getting on with your job. Um, but uh, yeah, being shot at isn't fun. Mm-hmm. Um, did you did you see any any action? Were you actually out, uh, you know, in combat? Uh, so we had a couple of uh, close scrapes. I wouldn't say that we were shooting um, at at people directly um, because of the nature of my role. That wasn't my. I wasn't infantry. Uh, but mm. we came into a few close scrapes uh, where we had to call in um, helicopter support uh, to get us out of some sticky situations, which just happened around us. Um, and for the most part, they they weren't Iraqi army or anything like that. They were local militias that just you know, oh. were taking. Um, security into their own hands if you oh, like yeah yeah oh, as it was in 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 that region goodness me mm-hmm. um yes yeah, so so you said you know you lost some of the interpreters did you any did you lose anybody that was close to you i did in afghanistan um at the end of my my tour in afghanistan which this would have been 2002 um my troop sergeant had recently just left uh, our particular unit had gone to work for uh, another um, spearhead unit, and um, he was fatally killed uh, in a blue-on-blue, uh, which is friendly fire, oh, um, just down the road from where we were stationed. And actually, it happened as I was flying out of Afghanistan, and I didn't actually learn about it until I was back home in my front living room oh. uh, with my father. And he said, oh, have you heard of um, there's been a blue on blue uh, fatality in Afghanistan? I think um, he was actually the second or third British fatality in Afghanistan. Um, and I, well, I was asking my dad, oh, so who is it? And then he said the name and I, was, I just went white with 
what? My goodness. Um, and that took quite a bit of processing because it was all over the news. It was all in, you know, the local, in all the national headlines. And I, you know, made some phone calls to um, back to base, and yeah, it was confirmed that he had been killed in a blue on blue. And yeah, that that was that was really hard. Um, and I actually work across the road from the National Memorial Arboretum uh, in Staffordshire, and it's it's a five minute drive from my house. But it actually took me twenty years uh, to go and visit his his war, his name on the wall um, oh for service personnel killed in Afghanistan. Um, I just couldn't bear to bring myself to go over and, and see it there. Uh, and I'm so glad that I did uh, and put it behind me. So, so it's weird how um, these things affect you. Dare I ask, um, I'm sure you have uh, many friends who suffer with PTSD. Has it affected you in any way? Do you know, I, I, it took me some, some years to recognise the symptoms within myself. And when I came out of the military, um, latter end of 2003, I was drinking a lot. I wouldn't say it was heavy, but I guess to my parents and a lot of my friends, uh, I was drinking a lot. Um, and this was just before I met my wife. And it led me on to then get uh, get a drink drive conviction, um, which wasn't deliberate, I might add. Mm. But never, needless to say, you know, over the limit is over the limit. Uh, and so I duly had my recompense for that. Mm. Uh, but again, again, that was the catalyst for me to make some um, wholesale changes to my life. Um, it was then that I met uh, my now wife. Um, and then we then went on to find Jesus together mm -hmm. and, uh, and my life changed, uh, changed for the better. Mm -hmm. So uh, finding Jesus uh, did that mm. deal with some of the, uh, the trauma and, and uh, the memories and, and, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I had this stigma that um, I didn't open up and talk about a lot of things because I wasn't around those friends and colleagues that I served with that understood. And I felt like talking to normal everyday people, civilians, my parents, my friends, they didn't understand. Mm. And so why would I talk about these things? But actually, that was a, a tactic of the enemy, the devil, uh, to want me to, to keep this grief inside mm. me that would eat away at me. Mm. Uh, and it took some years for me to comprehend, understand, uh, mature as a Christian, and realized that I needed to talk, that I needed to get this this stuff off my chest Absolutely. to whoever would listen. Uh, and I was really surprised that who actually genuinely did want to listen. So, so yeah, I kind of went through that, uh, I guess, self-medication um, of, of talking about my experiences. Um, and now I can openly talk about them without welling up, without getting emotional, wow. um, because it's dealt with, it's, it's done, it's, it's in the past, and, uh, you know, yeah. When I do struggle uh, from time to time with uh, some emotional grief from things in the past, I always turn to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you so, know, um, uh, as, as a believer, certainly uh, prayer, the scripture, uh, so important in dealing with any, any trauma and, and uh, mental illness. But mm. as you've rightly said, talk therapy, speaking it out, getting it off the chest is vital, isn't it? It is. It is. Absolutely. And it's not just, you know, with... Um, stories of, uh, of of wars, et cetera, et cetera. It's with anything in, in your walk of life. Absolutely. You know, the things that are getting you down, find somebody to talk to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really passionate within my own church about the men's ministry uh, and coming alongside guys that are struggling. And 
it, when I've got my own struggles, uh, whether it's work related, whether it's my uh, my son related, um, <laughs> family, know, it's fine. Yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's finding somebody that you can then um, talk to good, uh, good. In, a, in a confident manner, um, in, a, in a confidential manner, and and have that support. So important to talk about our difficulties and troubles in life. Indeed, dealing with PTSD, incredible stuff. Andy, I believe that you've been working with a ministry called Medair International. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So um, Medair International are a humanitarian NGO. They work in around 12 different countries worldwide. Um, and they they focus on the core uh, five principles of core humanitarian aid. Um, my time with those guys uh, was first and foremost in South Sudan, uh, in East Africa, um, where I was out there doing uh, the country logistics manager role uh, with my wife present. And from there, we then moved to Afghanistan. Um, I went out there as a deputy country director, and my wife went out as a project coordinator. And it was a roller coaster of um, security situations, um, complex humanitarian need. Um, gosh, yes, you know we could spend another half an hour just chatting about that alone. <laughs> that is phenomenal, amazing. So, Andy, you've spent time in Afghanistan under combat with the uh, with the British Army, but also working with an aid organisation. What is it like? What is what is it like under the Taliban in Afghanistan? Uh, well, at the time when we were there, um, it was uh, the Afghan government were in charge and it wasn't actually the Taliban, although the Taliban uh, were very present uh, everywhere, uh, but very much kind of under the radar, um, mingled in with society. And, um, you know, you, you have to be extremely extremely cautious about any movements that you do um, to make sure you're not being followed, that your whereabouts aren't uh, communicated ahead of uh, ahead of time. Um, and we would use our local uh, staff uh, and their connections and contacts in various areas, along with working with uh, the NGO security um, detail um, and the UN um, and NATO uh, to understand what the threats were, where the threats were, and hopefully you could move around uh, without too much hindrance. Mm. Uh, we dressed very locally. Uh, I grew a huge beard. I had a crack in suntan. Mm -hmm. uh, I wore all local clothes. Uh, unless I spoke, um, you didn't. Re you wouldn't notice that I wasn't a local. Uh, and a lot of the uh, the international females um, they would wear burqas. So again, unless uh, unless they spoke, um, you wouldn't really tell from a distance. Uh, that they were um, expats. Mm -hmm. Did you have any encounters, personal encounters, with um, members of the Taliban? Th uh, thankfully not, no. Um, it's not to say that our local staff didn't, because um, it was often too dangerous for the expats to go into the deep field, um, because, you know, you could be stood right next to a Taliban and you wouldn't know, uh, mm. but they would know that you weren't a local. Uh, so it would be, often it would be our local, our national staff that would go out into the field, uh, into the deep field uh, and do that more um, dangerous work, if you like. Mm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Christian persecution has um, obviously intensified under the Taliban mm. since uh, the Allied forces have uh, have moved out of the region. Um, but I believe that even under the um, the Afghanistan government, there was much Christian persecution. Did you encounter any of that? Yeah. So I mean, albeit very subtle, um, you know, we had to be extremely careful about where we met. 
um, for for on the underground church, uh, meeting with other uh, Christian NGOs that were operating in uh, in and around Kabul. Um, so yeah, we we had to really be careful about uh, telephone calls, Skype communications, uh, WhatsApps, and stuff like that, um, because I mean they wouldn't hesitate of of, of either intercepting you on the way to a meeting uh, and there'd be a big shootout or you know just just blow it up Mm, mm. you know and that and that's kind of how things went really um so yeah often you know we would be going to the meeting uh, uh, often in somebody's house uh, in a in a large hotel and then it'd be changed and it'd be changed again so before we've even got to the end destination it's already been changed two or three times uh, and that was all in the pursuit of ensuring security for for everybody that was attending Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing. You know, the most important thing we can do, Andy, I'm sure you'll agree, is to pray. We need to pray for Christians in those countries, for their protection, that God will rest upon them, and that their lives will be secure and, and wrapped up in the grace of God. So we want to pray right now that the Lord will touch these NGOs and Christian ministries working in Afghanistan, Iraq, and that part of the world, that they would continue to do such good work, and the Lord will bless them and protect them in their work. Andy DeMont, thank you so much for joining us today on The Reality. Thank you so much. Well, it's been great talking to Andy DeMont today on The Reality. If you'd like to know more, please drop me an email, dudley at surereality.net. Email me, dudley at surereality.net. The Reality is produced by Sure Reality, a listener-supported radio ministry. To become a vision partner and help us produce these programs, please visit the website surereality.net and click on Become a Vision Partner. From me, Dudley Anderson, to you, keep your eyes on Jesus. God bless.